There I am. Oh, sound of my own voice. Well, good morning again. Glad you're here. If you're joining us online, thank you for doing that. Let me just echo uh, what Lindsay said about Turkana. If you get a chance to stop back there and talk uh, with people who are back there, that would be great. If you didn't watch last week's service, it's online. It tells you more about the uh, opportunity we have there. So perhaps like many of you, I have been saddened but also amazed by what is going on in um, Ukraine this week. And, and one of the things that has amazed me is these people's allegiance to their country. They go back in knowing they could well die, and that's, they're willing to accept that because this is their homeland, and they're going to protect it with all they've got. And I admire, I admire deeply the courage of these people, and I, I, I appreciate their allegiance to their country. But you know, Jesus is calling to us to an allegiance like that and even higher. And as much as one's homeland is worth allegiance, I, I think Savior even more so. And that's what I want to talk about today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we're going to go through these two chapters and we're going to wrestle with the question, why is Jesus worthy of our total? Our complete allegiance. Revelation 4 and 5, why is Jesus worthy of our total, complete allegiance? Now, as you're turning there, let, let me just get us up to speed where we've been. Revelation 1, uh, 1 and 2, John says, you know, I, I had a vision. But this is not a vision that we kind of speculate, what does this mean and what does this mean? No, 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 no. It was a very specific, chapter 1, verse 3, says, this is a prophetic word for seven churches, and prophecy speaks to the future, but more importantly, it speaks to how do we now live, and, and this is a word for these people to live because they are under pressure. Their allegiance is being questioned. Domitian, about 95 AD, is the Roman emperor. The belief is the gods mediate their blessings to Rome, and Rome believes they've been blessed through the emperor. So we don't want to make the gods mad by worshiping some other god. Uh, John writes to them, though, he says in verse 4, he writes a letter. This is a pastoral letter because he cares about them. John, though he's their pastor, he, he's, he's feeling the pressure because he has been exiled. He has been banished to the island of Patmos because of the faith. He said, I'm in this tribulation with you. Uh, then he lays out a vision of Jesus, and, and what he's trying to say to these seven churches is, Domitian doesn't have the final word of judgment. Jesus does. Domitian is not the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is. And we've said God's word is timeless, and the principles that these seven churches that were there for these seven churches are also there for us because our allegiance, too, is being challenged. It's being questioned. So, from chapter 1 through chapter 3, John gave the word of Jesus' assessment to each of these churches. He went through all seven. Some churches, is a pretty stark word. One church, Ephesus, said, you're going to lose your place as a church if you don't return to your first love. Other church in Philadelphia was powerless. And yet he commended them for their faithfulness. And, and there was a whole gamut. There's, each church specifically dealt with what's going on. And so now he's going to speak to all seven churches, and he's going to start in chapters four and five by saying, this is what's going on in heaven. 
Okay? Now, what's going on in heaven ain't what's going on on earth. The earth is whacked. It's out of order. And we'll talk about that. Verses or chapters 6 through 22 are going to be how God brings about heaven to earth, the order in heaven to earth. For, for today, we want to talk about what's going on in heaven. And so, Revelation 4, chapter 1, as I find the passage, starts this way. And these, after these things, this word to the churches, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. This is typical verbiage for a prophet, specifically Isaiah and Ezekiel in the Old Testament, being invited to the presence of God. A door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. Remember, God is using symbols to send a message. We talked about this in the first week. Often, a political commentator will use political cartoons because they stick more to communicate a message. Well, there's, there's a symbol here, throne. Throne is a place of power. In the world of these seven churches, the person on the throne is Domitian. He is all-powerful. But John's saying, Jesus, give me another vision. And it ain't Domitian. It's not the Roman ruler who is all-powerful here. And then John describes, remember he's describing what he sees in the vision. Verse 3, and he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Three precious stones to describe. Again, we're using images. Jasper, sardius, and emerald. What's the point of these images? He who sits on the throne is glorious. He's radiant. He's splendid. It's easy to be impressed with the Roman emperor and his entourage. But John's saying, no, 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 no. The one who sits on the throne, he's above. Description. I'll do the best I can with human terms. He's like a precious jewel, just giving off radiance. When I went out to training for Fort Collins for Campus Crusade, uh, I was At the time, I was going to school in Texas, and we went to Fort Collins, Colorado. Now, most of Texas, I was from Houston and then went to school in College Station, is as flat as this stage. So we come up through Raton Pass in New Mexico, and you come up I-25, and you start to see the foothills on the side. Wow, man, that's, when you're from Texas, wow, <laughs> that's pretty good. So we, we had our first week in Fort Collins, and they sent us down to Boulder, to do an outreach the first weekend. So we didn't know back roads. So we went out to I-25, down to the Longmont exit, and there's a diagonal, 119, that goes right into Boulder. And you follow that in, and at some point, the flat irons of Boulder are right in front of you as you drive. And it's like, whoa. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, I ended up getting placed with Camps Crusade. I ended up being on the front range for 15 years. I was in Fort Collins and Greeley, but because the three campuses are so close, I spent a bunch of time in Boulder. I was there a lot. I, I never lost the wow. 
These flat irons, these mountains are something. Have you been caught up in the wow of God? The splendor, the beauty of who he is or is God kind of... Uh-huh. Because see, in heaven, the order is we get it. We get that God is amazing, splendid, brilliant. We get fixated on things on earth and we forget that the one who is worthy of our worship is God and our world gets whacked. It gets out of order. Well, the, the, the angelic beings, the heavenly beings, in there, they, they get God. So it says, around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. I think this is an angelic order that God created, and they're representative of people on earth. Out of the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. There's power emanating from this, and this will be even thunder of judgment. And there were seven lampstands of fire burning before the throne. Again, a picture, which are the seven spirits of God. And we've wrestled with, what does this represent? One point, I thought maybe the seven spirits were the spirit of God. I I think probably it's a heavenly entourage that God sends out to empower his people. Verse 6, and before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. This is taken from Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 22. Again, capturing the splendor of God. Have you ever seen a pond or a lake that is just smooth? And the sun comes off that, and you go, wow. Again, we're using human symbols to get a picture that God is glorious. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, again, angelic beings taken from the vision of Ezekiel, full of eyes. They miss nothing in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, representative kingdom of the beast. And the second creature was like a calf, king of the domesticated animals. The third creature had a face like a man, representative of the kingdom of the earth. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle, representative of all the flying creatures. What were they doing? And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. Day and night, they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. They are worshiping God. Holy means He's set apart. He is so different. Like me going to the mountains, we didn't have these in Texas. Wow. That's what we're saying. God in his character, in his presence, is above all. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks, that's what heaven's about to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever. And the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns. They've been rewarded for what they've done, but they return the reward to the one to whom it rightly is goes before and throne saying worthy are you our Lord and our God to receive power to honor and power for you created all things and because of your will they existed and were created why so much time with these symbols talking about the brilliance the eminence the beauty of God because these seven churches are caught up 
in a thing that's saying, isn't the mission, isn't the Roman system, isn't the Roman gods. Remember, they had their own gods for every trade guild. We worship these gods, we worship. No, 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 no. No, no, there's a vision from heaven saying, no, no, no. That's, that's not who you worship. See, when I talked about the order on earth being whacked from heaven, God does not have his proper place. Now you think, man, we're, we're called to worship. Is that something we want to do? I was seven years old. My family moved to the Detroit area. And for the first time, I was exposed to baseball and I was exposed to the Detroit Tigers. And uh, they went right to the end of the, they left, went to the last game of the season and then they, they lost and somebody won. And so they didn't, again, there were no playoffs. There were just two leagues and two teams played in the World Series. But that whetted my appetite. Well, the year, 1968 was the year of the Tiger. They got off, and, and they, they led kind of almost from start to finish. Um, they had a pitcher who won 31 games. I mean, they just had all these things. Well, about June-ish, late June, early July, the Detroit News, one of the local papers, on, on a one time a week, I don't know, let's just say Tuesday night, they, they would run, on the back page, they'd run a full-page um, photo of a player so the length of the paper so I cut that out and paste that up in my room and so every week I had those what would I do with those pictures well I would go in during the day and I would go look at those things on the wall they hadn't changed since yesterday and there was something written about I mean whoever Mickey Stanley doesn't matter where he's from and and I'd read it again did I forget no 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 I didn't forget Man, these guys, they were in first place. I was worshiping. Because they were giving me life and I was following them as an eight-year-old boy. And it was no problem to go in and look at these posters of these players again and again. Then there was an act of deliverance that took my worship to another level. So the Tigers make the World Series and they play the St. Louis Cardinals. And game one, they they are against a pitcher named Bob Gibson. Now, 68 was the year of the pitcher. They ended up lowering the mound. The pitchers were dominant, but nobody was more dominant than Gibson. And he strikes out 17 Tigers on their way to beating him. And there's only 27 outs, so almost two out of three guys who came up struck out. against. He, he mows them down. Well, the series gets to 3-1. to one. The Cardinals are ahead. And if the Tigers can win the next two games, they've got to go against Gibson. And I, there's no way. There's no, and I am in tears because my beloved Tigers are going down. I'm devastated, as only an eight-year-old boy could be. Well, they win game two. I, I'm sorry, they win game five. They win game six. Game seven comes, and they got a Tigers going to pitch a guy named Mickey Lulich, only on two days rest against Gibson. I thought, yeah, this isn't going to go well. Well, in that day, the World Series was during the day, so every classroom in school had a TV watching it. And so six innings, it's nothing to nothing. And I thought, well, maybe they can get Gibson, get to their bullpen, and maybe they can do it. And so I'm going to walk home. It was about a 10-minute walk home, 15-minute walk home for the top of the seventh. That's where the Tigers bat, and then I'll, I'll, maybe they can hang on, and I'll hang. So I, I come in the house, and, and, and I, I say to my mom, is it still tied? And she goes, no, they're ahead. What? Yeah, they got three runs in the top of the seventh. The guy misplayed a fly ball, blah, 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 blah. Well, long story short, they win. And I'm ecstatic. 
And I, in the interviews, I want to hear everything Mickey Lolich, he's the pitcher for the Tigers, has to say. What? Because from the Tigers' perspective, Bob Gibson was the great Satan, man. They couldn't beat him. And he brought him down. He, he redeemed it. He brought back what was lost to victory. Mickey Lolich. How much more with Jesus? We were dead. We were lost. We had nothing. We needed an act of redemption. And that's what John is trying to bring us to. He, not Domitian, nothing on earth is worthy of our affection, our desire, our longing, our worship. As I said, the world is out of order compared to what's going on in heaven. And chapters 6 through 22 tell us about how that's going to be brought about. How is it out of order, specifically for these seven churches? They are being asked to worship an emperor, a ruler, a government system. And we think, oh, how could you do that? So let me ask you, in your thinking, would things be right if we could get this person in office, if we could get this party in, this administration in? I think a lot of us think the solution for America is this politician, this party, this administration. Listen to me. Listen, 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 listen. No politician, no party, no administration can bring God's created order to earth. No one. Do not give your allegiance to a politician or a party or an administration. We value the things that Jesus does, but we give our ultimate allegiance to Him. We can be caught up in principle in the same thing that these seven churches were being pushed on. So here's what John says. He's still in a vision. He said, I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, both sides. Again, that takes us back to Ezekiel, the scroll he got from God, sealed up with seven seals. Now understand this. In Roman days, when an official document was created, it was rolled up and it was sealed with the official Roman seal. And you, Joe, citizen, you didn't dare open that with that Roman seal. You didn't have the authority. Only a few people had the authority to open a sealed document. And you better find someone in authority or you're going to lose your life. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? Bad news, verse 3, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. This seal, this document, is God's plan of judgment and salvation to bring God's created order to earth. And it's ready to be rolled out, but there's no one worthy to enact this plan. No one has the rank to break the seals. John says that I began to weep. He's in the vision greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop. Stop weeping. Why? Ah, we found someone worthy. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. You can stop crying, John. There's no need to weep. We found someone who's worthy. And this is how the worthy one is described. He's the lion of Judah. That's Genesis 49. Lion, a lion is the king of the jungle. That's a militant term. That's a picture of a conqueror. The root of David comes from Isaiah 11, verse 1. David was a brilliant warrior. He took 
Israel to its eyes. We have a conqueror who is fit, who is worthy to open this. That's what John hears, but listen to what he sees in verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders. What did he see? A lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. Remember, seven is the number of completion, complete wisdom, complete understanding of what's going on, which are the seven spirits of God, that heavenly entourage, sent out into all the earth. Who is this one? This militant conqueror? He's a slain lamb. The message is Jesus conquered by dying for his enemies. Church, it's a message for us. It'll be the message to the seven churches as a message to us. You, God will conquer through you and me and through us. What? As we are willing to suffer and die for our Savior. See, you can't convince people, you can't reason them into the kingdom, but they see you're, you're willing to suffer for this, you're willing to die for that. You must really believe it. Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's what makes it real to people. Here, and he, Jesus, came and took the book out of his right hand of him who sat on the throne. And he is about to open this thing. And that's what he's going to be doing the next few weeks and enacting God's plan. See, we're asking this question, why is Jesus worthy of our total ages? Why is he worthy of our life? Here's the deal. Only Jesus can bring about God's plan of judgment and salvation to restore our world. God's judgment and salvation together, and people will experience one or the other, are his means of re restoring order, the created order, to our world, to what happens when this Jesus is identified. Verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the elders fell down before the Lamb, what, to worship him, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And we will hear more about the prayers of the saints, the prayers of the martyrs. They're an offering to God. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book. Why is he worthy? And to break its seals. You have the authority to break the seals. For what? You were slain. You gave your life. That's what makes you worthy. And it's a picture in the Old Testament. God brought Israel out of Egypt. There was a lamb slain. This is the perfect lamb, which doesn't just release a whole nation of people. It releases a whole world of people. And you purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. That's what he said to his people coming out of Egypt. You're going to be a kingdom of priests serving me. First Peter picks up on that in verses 2, 9, and 10. He said, you are a royal nation, a holy kingdom, a priesthood for God's own possession. He picked up in this term. We are serving God ultimately by giving our life to him and for him. And they will reign upon the earth. And now we see the worship moving out in concentric circles. Verse 11. And I took and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb, not the omission, that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, that's the second way. Every created thing begin to worship, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, to blessing and glory and dominion forever and ever. And then we get the last circle. The four living creatures kept saying, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Well, Andy, that's all well and good, but they're in heaven. 
Listen, before he left the earth to go to the cross, be crucified and ultimately ascend into heaven, Jesus, talking about the Holy Spirit, said to his disciples in this in John 14, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I'm physically leaving, but you're not gonna be alone. I'm gonna be with you. Why? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. Is it any wonder Jesus said in John 16, 7, it's for your benefit that I go away, that the helper might come. That's a pretty powerful statement. The eternal word of God taken on human flesh says it's your benefit that I go away. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is gonna manifest Jesus to us. Yes, we can have this kind of experience. Later going on, he talks about the Spirit. The Spirit, he says, you're gonna understand something that the world doesn't that I'm alive, and, and, and we can begin. We talk about being, the, the kingdom of God being yet and in, in, in future. As we choose to submit to him and we realize who he is, we value him above all. And in part, God's kingdom begins to set up on earth. And his people challenge us and threaten us and we face costs. We're willing to say we're so enamored with Jesus. We're so caught up in his brilliance. Yes, if it comes to it, we'll even give our lives. And God will take that and use it for his victory. Just as he did Jesus' death. God, Andy, why do we need to hear this? It's a timeless principle because here's why. The world is asking for your allegiance. It's demanding your allegiance. Look, I, I love our country. We live in a market-driven culture. If you don't have a need, let me create an ad to show you you have a need. You, you got an iPhone 11 yet? That ain't, that ain't good enough. Let me, let me, you, need a, you need a 13 because it's got this many pixels and it's got this and that. And, and that may mean you have to take another job and you go in debt. But, but the, I mean, it's very subtle. You step out to other parts. The, the other governments are far more totalitarian. You either worship our religion, you either worship us, you put away Jesus, or it will cost you your life. Those are the extremes. By the grace of God, we, we live on one end, at least for now. So the call for allegiance is far more subtle. But let me ask you, when you got time, when you're by yourself, and you don't have anything common, what do you daydream about? What do you think about? Remember I talked about eight years old? I'd go into my room and look at the posters of the tigers that I had just seen yesterday and the day before. Nothing had changed. At eight years old, they were not, maybe they were going to win the World Series. We understand that with an eight-year-old boy. But what is it? Is it, is it that vacation? Is it that new home? I mean, I mean this, this thing is that the carpet's old here and the, the, you know, the, the kitchen's it's outdated and, it's, and if we could just get that can identify what you daydream about, that would be the things that are challenging your allegiance to God. When I was in college, I was in a Sunday school class. A guy was talking about priorities. He said, you want, if I want to know somebody's priorities, I ask for two things. Now, this is pre-phone, okay? Give me their day timer and give me their checkbook. Let me see how they spend their time and their money, and I'll tell you what their priorities are. I'll tell you what their allegiances are. Let me ask you, your time and your money, how do you spend it? Jesus is calling for our total allegiance. And let's remember, this is, not, this is a, church, uh, a, a, a vision really communicated to a church, a group of churches, and then certainly churches are made up of people, of individuals, but what would God say to the church of Lincoln? I, I'm talking corporately, I'm talking the evangelical churches, and there's, there's a bunch in this town. 
We caught up in looking good. We caught up in bigger numbers, just for the sake of numbers. I, I, what would he say? Is our allegiance where it needs to be? There's one who's worthy of our allegiance, and his name is Jesus. When I was in graduate school at A&M, I was a TA, teaching assistant for a Fortran class, computer programming class. And the gig was they met with the prof on Monday and Wednesday, 60 of them, and they broke into two sections, Tuesday and, 30, Tuesday and Thursday, 30 apiece. That's me. And then I had the help desk, and I had a few other duties. Well, I'm in my first semester doing it. I'm in my first or second night at the help desk, and a uh, shorter gentleman comes up to me about, I don't know, 38 or 40 years old. He said, Andy, my name's V, and you're going to be seeing a lot of me this semester. Found out he's a career military. They had sent him back to school, and uh, V was true to his word. He was a frequent flyer. I got to see V quite a bit. He needed help, and, and I got to build a friendship with him. And over the time, I, I got to know his story just because we spent a lot of time together. V had been a platoon sergeant in Vietnam. So he, I think he had 13 or 14 men he was responsible for. And I mean, I was fascinated with it. I admire the courage of soldiers. And, and, and he told me in one time, he said, we were always undergoing sniper fire. And he said, in my whole time there, I only lost one guy. It was a new guy. And he froze. Now you get under sniper fire, you go down. So after that, new guy, you're with me. <laughs> You're with me. And my first thing was I'd pull him down. I said, then what would you do, V? I said, I'd make sure all the other men are down. And then I'd look around to find the sniper. And uh, then I'd deploy the men accordingly. I said, well, V, you're standing up. What if you get shot? Come on, the next guy stands up. His task was the oversight of his soldiers. If it cost his life, he understood that. I said, V, let me double back on this young man. If you could have stepped in front, that bullet, would you have done it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Andy, I, I just, it just killed me to lose a soldier. I thought, you know, I'm going to make as much time for V as he needs. Because I, I just think, man, you're willing to give your life for your people. I think that's noble. Okay, we serve a Savior. That's just a picture of the Savior we serve. You, give your life for you, yep. Yeah, yep, yeah, are, are you? Where, yeah, yeah, Jesus would. Yeah, but Andy, you don't know what I've done. Yeah, you don't know what I've done either. But Jesus said, I'd lay my life down for you. Is that not worthy of our total allegiance? Why is Jesus worthy of our total allegiance? Only Jesus, only Jesus can bring about God's plan of judgment and salvation to restore our world. We're going to move to a time of communion now in which we're celebrating this Jesus. So let me tell you what we're doing and what we're not doing. We don't be, believe this becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus. We believe this is symbolic, this is a memorial. But we do want to remember this Jesus. And Jesus, as we will see, instituted this. You do not have to be a member of North Point. We only ask that you be a follower of Jesus. Um, if you don't know where you stand with God, please feel free to watch. There's no reason to be embarrassed. But like I said, we are remembering this one who gave his life for us. And we're remembering this one, only one, 
who was worthy to enact God's plan of salvation. Remember, the, the, the angel cried, worthy of you because you were slain. He conquered by giving his life for his enemies, and he sets a model for us. So Jesus wrote about this, which you're about to celebrate in, in, in Matthew 26. He said this, verse 26, says that while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. I invite you to take and eat this and remember Jesus' body being broken for you. Jesus, we're, we're mindful that you were, your body was broken. You were whipped. You were nailed to a cross. Crown of thorns jammed on your head. And you did that so we could sit here today. So we have a reason for meeting. We have a reason for celebrating. We have a reason for hope. We have a reason to think the world will be put back in order because of you. So we remember you. We honor you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And then Jesus continued, or Matthew continues in verse 27. He said, when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. I invite you to take and drink in remember of Jesus shed blood for you. Our Father, we're thankful that Jesus did come to earth and his blood was shed. And he came to earth not only to bring us salvation, but to restore order. In a world that increasingly seems more broken, um, we look to you. And yet in this world, um, people, things, products, jobs demand our allegiance. And you were speaking, as you did to those first century churches, seven of them, like you're speaking to us today. One, Jesus is worthy of our complete allegiance. Holy Spirit, would you make Jesus real that we might know this certainty. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.